Why is it we humans get romanced by complexity when the answers can be found at a simple and practical level? This is the Simply Practically Human podcast, where the human manager, Mark Labasque, features experts who have a track record in humanizing workplaces, using simplicity and practicality as their go-to approach. It's all about getting back to what it is to be human and watch workplaces thrive rather than just survive. Hey there, it's Mark Labusque for the Simply Practically Human podcast. And um, sometimes you meet people who have a profound impact on how you see yourself and, and perhaps help you to get some clarity in the fog of trying to understand your own story and to be able to tell your story. And today's guest, Holly Cardamone, is is one of those human beings who I was introduced to by a, another very good friend, Alana Bennett. And um, even after six years of doing the work I do, I really have found it hard to tell my story and about what sits behind the story, not just the work that I do, whether it's facilitation, podcasting, speaking, writing books, but What's sitting in behind that? And today, Holly is going to share her story about how she got there, which is a remarkable one in itself, to get her to a point where she's really got clarity around telling her own story. And she now helps hundreds and thousands of people to do that, to step into their story, and also to, I guess, make them accountable to, once they've worked that out, is to share that out there with the world because that's one of the great challenges we have. If, even if we've got some clarity on it, is is that concern about how will we be seen, how will we be judged if we actually start to share and tell our story with the world. So Holly's going to take you on a pretty cool journey today from early days of growing up in, uh, in the country to pursuing a particular career and then really getting to be able to, in some respects, balance that career, that CV career with her passion, which ultimately led her to go down a pathway which is all about her love for communications and for writing. So I think you'll pick up a whole lot of great things. What you will know is that Holly is absolutely passionate about helping people to tell their story. I know she's so proud. She, she mentions a few times about some clients she works with and how they've been able to, with her help, get to places they never thought they could go to. Her simple and practical tips uh, today will be just that, simple and practical. And one of the things she picks up, which is a quote from Hemingway, which is clarity over clever. So she'll talk a bit about that as we go through. If you are someone who is struggling to tell your story, whether it's your own personal story or maybe it's the story of your team or your department or your organisation, those wonderful things that you are doing and the value that you're bringing, This podcast is really going to help you with that. So sit back, have a listen, and uh, we'll catch you at the end. Today, I'm joined by communication specialist and writer, Holly Cardamone. Holly, thanks for joining me. So excited, Mark. So happy to be chatting to you. As I am happy to be chatting to you because um, I've learned an absolute shitload from you and this whole idea, which we're going to get into today about telling your story and sort of putting yourself out there. Now, I know that one of my former guests on here, the amazing Alana Bennett, introduced us. And I'm sort of into this connection piece. So I'd like to start with your recollection of that sort of first connection and first impression. How'd that go for you? Of my first impression of you? Uh, Yeah. I should have been a bit more succinct (laughs) on that. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, clarity is very important, Mark, which I'm sure we've talked about over the time we've worked together. But anyway, um, look, honestly, Alana is such a incredible human that if she told me to go meet with a guinea pig, I would. <laughs> That's how high I hold her in esteem. But obviously I did my research and I had a sneak peek around your content and your website and the articles that you've been writing. And obviously ridiculously clever. And as you know, I'm trying really, really hard just not to swear. So I'll just add the AF to the end of that, clever. But I'm open to the process, which is not unusual. People tend to come to me because they know that they have something to say, but either they have too many ideas or they're not quite sure how to structure it and it's, you know, a bit messy or they can't see where the hooks are, where the gold is. And so obviously when we finish the process of working together in terms of your content, you said to me that there were things there that I took note of that you straight over your head you hadn't seen the value in that in terms of your audience and so I think that was probably one of my impressions that you were so incredibly filled with goodness but maybe a little bit messy about how to get it out there and how to share that. Filled with goodness but a little bit messy I think that's (laughs) that's been very very kind to me Holly. (laughs) Going through that process and just sharing a little bit of this with the listeners was you know not really sort of having a sense of what I do, but having no idea of really the depth of whether you call it the work or what goes around the work. And I just recall, I think those first couple of hours where you just kept firing questions at me. And then I just saw a whole lot of post-it notes that were just being put onto a a board or something there. And then all of a sudden, this amazing information came back to me. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, it was like, shit, how did you know that when I've been doing this work for six years and couldn't understand? So this is what we're going to delve into today is getting you to share some of your expertise and your passion for helping people to to tell their story. And I like to use this term to blow some smoke up their own asses at times. Perfect. Well, I tend to use shine a spotlight, but blow smoke up their clacker. That's a good one. I like that. Mm, what a feeling that, yeah, anyway, <laughs> we won't go there. Um, so let's start into this with a little bit about your backstory because I know when I've looked at your website like one of the things that I love about you is when I get off your website I don't just know you as the writer and the comm specialist I actually know you as the human being with all of your with what's and all it's like here's the story now that's such an important thing for someone who helps other people tell their story can you share with the listeners a little bit about your backstory and and how you've ended up where you are Look, it's funny. It's one of those things that at the time I don't know that I saw the impact it would have on my life over time, but I grew up on a farm on the beach and it's only the last couple of years, maybe even the pandemic brought it out even more that, you know, the walking within the one-hour 5K circuit that we had here in Melbourne and saying hello to people, people are actually answering. And I don't know that I'd seen that for many, many, many years. And when I first moved to Melbourne, I was only 18 you know, came to uni like so many people from the country do. And it's one thing that struck me and I actually kind of liked it, that you could be anonymous, you could walk straight down the middle of Burke Street and not get eye contact with anyone. And I kind of like that. And the older and more cantankerous I get, I suppose, someone doesn't say hello to me when I've gone out of my way to beam a smile at them. I get really quite crotchety in <laughs> Melbourne people, even though I'm a Melbourne person. I've been lived here longer than I actually lived in the coast. So there's that sort of element of it. My um, first job, Mark, was at a beautiful fish and chips slash ice cream parlour in a beautiful coastal village that, you know, exploded over summer and I was scooping out ice cream. 
Second job was cleaning dentures in a nursing home, which wasn't quite so blissful, I'm sure you can imagine. Wow. And so my first degree was in nursing and I was always, always going to do an arts degree, wanted to be a writer from day dot. I had an incredible English lip slash careers counsellor pull me aside, teacher, and basically told me I had no life experience and writers need life experience, which was true. <laughs> you know, surfer girl growing up on the on a farm on the beach, didn't know a lot about the world. And so she said some sort of health degree and my marks would have got me into OT, but I felt like that would attract me into a career because it was, you know, quite a commitment. So instead, not to be disparaging, but I, I chose nursing because I thought that's a really good plan B work anywhere in the world, always have access to a job basically while I pursued other things. And that's what I did. Did four years of a degree, absolutely had no passion for, dragged myself through it. It was really um, tough doing something you knew your heart wasn't in. But what I really, really loved was people and my teacher was right, sitting on people's beds, accessing them at their most vulnerable, stories like you you can only imagine. I love it. Wake up your eyes. (laughs) You know, I I, I love that idea of I guess you you were finding a way through, like I've got to do something and that's a good plan B, but then there was that passion and how you could, I guess, cleverly be able to still have some of that passion burning because you're sitting there listening to stories from people but earning a dollar while you're doing that. So it's sort of the nursing piece. How did you make that that step or what was the step into what you're doing today? It was funny. I um, The second I finished, I went straight back to uni and did communications. I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I was thinking, you know, health promotion, some way of blending the two. And I was doing nursing night shifts. I was studying and I was with a temp agency doing communications roles and basically getting as much practical experience as I can. And one day they rang me and they said, got a tricky project for you. They need someone who has an insight into nursing and communications. And that was managing the government's nurse recruitment campaign. And I don't believe in luck. I believe in hard work and grabbing opportunities. Firmly believe that Lady Luck was smiling down on me that day because it was once in a lifetime campaign, $9 million budget, government that was ready to throw anything and everything at supporting this workforce that I, you know, still, I wasn't part of it in terms of it wasn't me, but far out, I can see that, you know, like the value that these people bring to people every single day. Amazing. So that's how I basically went straight into a full-time communications role and a massive one, you know, given a team and, you know, highly lucky, but also grabbed it with both hands, absolutely shitting myself, but it was amazing. I was told I'd be lucky to get 42 nurses and state needed 1,200. We got close to 1,800 in a really short time frame. And that was, and I think in terms of communications and what we talk about, Mark, knowing your audience, these were people who desperately loved their career, their vocation. They were incredibly good at it. We're talking university-educated people in the most part. But they'd been driven out of a system and they wanted to get back. They wanted to be nursing. They wanted to be in ICU units. They wanted to be using their skills and their expertise. So it was just tapping into the messages that would connect them back to their core, basically. I love it. This thing about luck's an interesting one too. I have have what I call my stop story is that I'm just lucky. And But if you get underneath that, it's not really luck. There's obviously, there was a point in time or a moment in time where you're in the, say, right place at the right time. Obviously, people saw something in you that maybe you didn't, maybe not had seen as much at the, at the time, which would help. The other thing I want to say quickly there, 
I love the way that you stopped yourself from dropping the F-bomb before <laughs> when you went far out. It's okay if it comes out every now and again. We, uh, we can accommodate it on the podcast. So just, just don't worry about that. So for someone who teaches or helps other people to tell their story and get passionate about what, what's great about them or unique about them or, you know, what they're known for, how does that sit with you in regards to if you're helping people do this, how good are you at doing that? Is there, if you're human too, so is there a reluctance or where does that sit with you? Look, I don't know the reluctance is the right word. A couple of years ago, I had my very first branding shoot and the second it was finished, and that was for my website, for my social media, rang up some clients and I said, I am so sorry how I treated you. <laughs> I'm much more comfortable with a clipboard at the back bossing people around than I was in front of the camera, you know, head down and out, you know, tilt your pelvis, twister, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, and I think when you're in the role of putting the spotlight on others, it can be quite uncomfortable and I know how you feel about that and it's something that I embrace a lot more the other thing that I did the first I rebranded Blue 51 seven years ago and before that I had my business in my own name and I stripped that back I wanted a bit of distance between myself and my business and so for the first year of that evolution I refer everything I wrote was we if I wrote a blog post of 300 words it'd take me hours and I'd be struggling and agonizing the second I flipped it over to I write 500 words in 15 minutes, it, it yep. flowed, everything flowed. And I think that's because it felt more connected to who I am, which is what takes me back to answering a true question. Clear understanding of who my audience is and how I can be of support to them. So it's my story, but through their lens. And you know, what you said before about my website, my email, very much market everything the way, I mean, you've experienced it. My pet hate is when you see someone online and they're all chatty and warm and vivacious and you meet them in real life and they're really quite stale. Well, what's... <laughs> what's... not to attack anyone, but it's the other way around. You meet someone in real life and you love them, you read their stuff and it's like, you know, boring and sedate and no warmth and no humour and it's really hard to connect with them. So I think knowing who you are and what you do, that is really, really helpful and that's what I lean in on. I love that. Um, you just reminded me as you were saying that about, you know, it looks, you look warm and all that, and then all of a sudden you meet them and they're, they're cold and, and sort of stony-faced. Here's a little reminder for people listening about your LinkedIn photos. Mm. Don't put up a photo from 20 years ago when you <laughs> might look like Tom Cruise or Al McPherson or someone when really, you know, if you're the Tom Cruise one, you might be looking more like Jack Nicholson today because <laughs> I've, I've seen quite a bit of that. You meet someone and you're like, <laughs> oh shit! Hang on, I don't think I'm talking to the right person. And that I think there's some link to that with what you just talked about: is turn up as who you are. And and here's the trap: I, I have a bit of a sense that we do these crazy things when we run. When I run workshops, I don't do it, but many facilitators do. You go around the room and you ask people what they do, and they're like, "Well, I've um, been 20 years in sales, and I've generated revenues, and or I've taken out costs, or I've." built this bridge or whatever it might be and it's like that's sort of what our identities become how do you help people get out of that i am my cv versus no actually tell your story that you already told a great story about you finally got to your passion how do you help people who can't get out of their story being their cv it's interesting you ask me that. One of the things I sort of take to task, you know, you've heard about the start with why concept. 
which of course is really important. But in terms of writing for your brand or telling your story or sharing your story, when someone is in need of something and you're the person to help them, they don't give a flying, you know, what about why you do it. They want to know the how and the what and the who. So it's those sorts of elements. And then you can get to the why. So first tell someone that you can help them and how. Um, And then this is why I do what I do. So the why is really lovely and it's good to know in terms of clarifying your own voice. In terms of helping people, Alana is an incredibly um, apt example here. Some of the work that she does in terms of the employee experience and when I met with her to talk about her story, I had, I think we had a good couple of hundred post-its, like the stuff that just kept coming out and out and out. And that's where the gold is. So this person built a bridge but a bridge just doesn't come up. Like surely there were some hiccups along the way. And like any story, like the more there's conflict, interest, humour, that's where the interest comes. So, yes, I build bridges, but I love my work. I get to build bridges. It's always something different every day. People want the insight and the intrigue and the fun and the lightness. And What I really like about what you just said is with the the why piece is that there will be people who have been spitting out their lattes, the Simon Sinek fans that are on here, it'll be like choking on their cornflakes, spitting out their lattes because you've just basically said that you're wrong, Simon. We don't start with why. We should start somewhere else. And I'm a big fan of the why, but what you've said actually makes a lot of sense. Look, there's a place for why in your story. And I have a client who has a business that looking through it, couldn't work out how the hell do I throw some money at you? And it turns out she sells products to help wellbeing, basically. But every single post was about her and on her website, uh, there was a tiny little shop here button, but it was about, you know, the importance of wellbeing and why it was important to her. And that's lovely, but I need to know, how can I buy one of these freaking T-shirts? Yep. So there's a place for it. So, you know, maybe once a week you might talk about your why, the other times in the week you're talking about, you're making it easy for people to know how to work with you. That was something that when I did work with you that came up, was like, hey, you've got to put that stuff out there. You've got to put the things out there. that you sell. that that was a little uncomfortable for me because I'm like, oh, geez, what if, if I start doing that, they'll think I'm, just trying to get a commercial outcome from them. And but what's wrong with that? Exactly, exactly. I uh, just needed to just grow up a little bit. And I grew up as you were filling out those post-it notes. <laughs> hey, um, why don't human beings spend more time on we call the story of me? Why, why are they not doing that? A number of reasons. Number one, like I said before, they've either got too many ideas or not enough ideas in that they can't see the value In terms of people in organisations, I think there is a bit of a misconception out there that LinkedIn is just there for job seeking. So if they blow their own horn there and their manager sees it, oh, my goodness, whereas it's really a means to cheerlead that organisation. So it's something I think should be supported. In terms of spending time on building that story, I think a lot of people are in the day-to-day of living and when you're running on fumes, the last thing you want to be doing is thinking about what your story is. You just, you know, you're living. But there's such value to it. And I have a client who is happily working in an organisation and happy as Larry. She's been working with me on her story and she's been tapped on the shoulder twice in the last three weeks, both by people who have been following her journey online, seeing the work that she's put out. And she's writing on LinkedIn, she's writing on Medium, 
She doesn't have a personal blog. I haven't managed to talk her into that. But they're loving what she's putting out there. And one of the pieces was from last October. So it's a slow burn in terms of building your personal brand and sharing your story. But it's so powerful. What just came to mind for me then, Holly, when you were talking was that perhaps that idea of starting to change your mindset that what you're sharing is in the service of others rather than just in the service of yourself. So have you got some thoughts around that? Look, uh, there's a bit of a blend, obviously. So if you're trying to build a personal brand for whatever reason, you know, there's a lot of people working in organisations with a side hustle that's speaking or, you know, just want to do something beyond their nine to five or whatever is they're working. And so one thing I think is really, really important when you're telling your story and any sort of personal brand building, if you're using LinkedIn or whatever medium, there's three things. It's goal, audience and message. So Every piece of content you put out, what's the goal for this? Is it to entertain someone? Is it to educate? Is it to provoke? And obviously you're the master of that. Is it basically promo? This is how we can work together, which is all good. It's that balance. So that's the goal. So what do I want for this? The audience, who do I want to see this? And in the example of the client that I was just mentioning, she heads up a people and culture team. She wants to showcase to her internal stakeholders it's not just the cool IT guys doing the fun stuff. Like her team are doing some really, really cool yeah. stuff. So that's her internal stakeholders, but also external ones as well. Like this is the cool work that we're doing. And then the last one's message. Like what's the most appropriate way to share this message to meet this goal to this audience? So yeah. thinking about those things in consultation. So you're not just throwing shit out there for the sake of it. You're not just yeah. taking photos of your lunch. You know, it's strategic and think about who you are, how you want to be known. And that's really, really important. Great tips around the message. And then when I think about, you said cheerleading before and maybe showcasing. So it's not just doing this work at an individual level. There's great opportunities in organisations to be able to build brilliant stories about work here, isn't there? Oh, gosh. And it's so, it makes you so much more attractive, I suppose, as an employer. If you have your team, your people sharing content that shows how smart they are, but also how smart you are as an organisation to be employing these clever people. So I think it's essential. Love it. I love it. So let's get into those three simple and practical tools and tips now. So we're, we're sort of, I want listeners to think about this in a couple of ways is that, you know, you might be a manager and you're looking to what I used to call with my team, I had what I called a brag sheet. Yeah, I love that. And, and it had a whole lot of things on that around, not just what they'd done in from a work perspective, but the things I'd seen from a human perspective, some of the passions that they had, the things they're doing outside of work. So we got a really good picture of maybe sometimes we're putting the wrong person into a piece of work because we've just looked at their CV rather than the fully rounded human being. So there's that. Um, and the other side of it is, so you can do that as a manager for your people, but you've got to also do it for yourself. But at the same time, without getting caught up in overly self-promoting perhaps where people start to look at you in a very different way and a bit of maybe a fine balance here what would be three simple and practical tools and tips you could give to the listeners to help to sell their story whether it's for others or for themselves look the first thing we've already talked about this is remember it's not about you yep and it's a common fear that people have is that if I start sharing LinkedIn posts, people will think I'm, I've got tickets on myself or, you know, I'm bragging. Remember, especially on some of the platforms, no one's seeing your stuff anyway, <laughs> which is brutal. But, uh, you know, the <laughs> algorithms are, 
even LinkedIn it's shifting. Like it's not necessarily people aren't going to be bombarded and right. their feeds are such that you don't need to worry about that. And they're not thinking about you, they're thinking about themselves. So that's the first thing. And keeping that in mind, it's really important. I think keeping a brag book for yourself is really a great idea, not just for, you know, the potential of what you could mine for your content strategy, but also for the fields. And, you know, million and one gyms always have on their wall some sort of chalkboard of, you know, yay, Holly lifted 120 kilos. It's never happened. But, you know, like it's that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. Yay, Holly just did 50 burpees. Like that did happen. I'll, I'll hold that one. So it's about keeping that sheet. And then when you are thinking, oh, I haven't posted on LinkedIn for a while, what can I talk about? And I can talk about, you know, the link between lifting heavy shit and how I approach my writing. Like yeah, you've got that in your mind. So keeping yep. a blog book or a brag book of that's always good. That's a simple tip. Number two, I suppose this can be a bit trickier because you're working through 50 million levels of bureaucracy. Have a company page, an active company page that's strategic and get your people to be part of that story. So, you know, if you're in an organisation, you're writing something about your day and something, you know, a fabulous meeting you've just had, you've just done something really fun and energising, you've learnt something cool, you know, and then they can tag the company page and that brings it all together. Third one, I think, is... Be very aware of what you want to be known for. And this is something that we talked about. And when you have some clarity around that, and and I suppose more importantly is what you don't want to be known for. And I have a client at the moment who's moving away from bookkeeping's been an arm of her business. She's got a massive business for a long time. She's wanting to move away from that. So we don't mention bookkeeping. Mm. Other clients who want to work with women in business, yes, they work with men, but they never, ever mention it. They don't market to it. So being very aware of what you want to be known for, and that way you can structure your content around that and not go rogue. And bonus tip number four, write like you speak. And that goes back to perception. And one of my pet hates is when I see someone write, I enjoy participating in team sports because no one would ever speak like that. And I think a lot of people go into that, you know, the second the keyboard comes out, they go into that year nine best essay. That's what it was called. <laughs> well, the more you can strip that back, the better. It makes you more human, uh, makes you more accessible and relatable. And I have a client, he works for one of the big fours, and when he was writing his LinkedIn profile. He said something like, you know, on a Friday night he enjoys a burger and I can't remember what, it was some sort of beverage. And it was like, who enjoys a burger? You love a burger. You love mm. Bon Jovi. You love, <laughs> like, it's that, you know. I, uh, I enjoy partaking in a delicious burger on a Friday evening with my like you were gin series on a Friday night. Imperative, <laughs> yeah. And I, and I was not a gin drinker until... January when we went to Tassie. So, uh, <laughs> you know, part of my story on that is you shouldn't say no to things that that you might enjoy just because you just want to be different. Unless so, it's um, drugs or something like that. <laughs> we weren't doing any of that sort of stuff down in uh, in Deloraine. So <laughs> a, a, a something that was interesting there that, that's triggered me is what you don't want to be known for is really important. And I think we spend a lot of time on, hey, what, what are your goals and what are you – and I – listened to Craig Harper just recently and he's Melbourne-based and he, he just calls bullshit as he sees it. Luckily, he's going to jump on air at some point in time. But he just said, start thinking about what you don't want to do and start from there. So for me, when I left corporate, it was like I did want to start a business, but what I didn't want to do was ever go back into corporate. Yeah. That's what I said to myself. And it still sits there with me rather than all of the things I wanted to do 
some I have, some I haven't. I think that's a really important point. The other question I wanted to ask you is, you know, those LinkedIn articles and those blogs that people have written and they're still sitting in their saved article file and I speak to them at times and they go, I said, have you, have you, are you blogging? Oh, look, I've written 15 articles, but I just can't seem to hit the send button because I'm worried about what people will think. What's your advice for those people? Look, it's funny you say that because one of our mutual contacts this morning put up an incredible LinkedIn post and I just sent a message saying, this is great, but please put it on your blog. Mm. Add an intro, add a call to action. This is a, it needs to live on your blog. Mm. And what do I say to them? Just do it. And it's like any muscle. The more you write, the better you get at it. You'll always have your core people who are around you, who support you and will share it and encourage you. Just lean on that and just do it. Yeah. And there is a, is a contentious piece, and this is just from my experience and observation over the last six and a bit years. This condition seems to afflict females more than males. Now, that's what I've seen because when I catch up with people for coffees and they're like, hey, we, we love reading your stuff, and I'm like, hey, what about you? Yeah, I've written stuff, but I just it's not quite right yet or my program's not quite right or this is not quite right. Do you have any sense around that but you're someone who's obviously female but put yourself out there but do you notice that or do you think it's, well, it's funny you say that because I think the people like a big part of my work Mark you know I write the communications plan I have people that I then mentor which is basically holding them to task to write it send it to me for a bit of cheerleading and you know maybe tweak this section you've missed you know I'm so familiar with their content as well and then it's that sort of accountability but also support to get it out there to take that next step and plus I tend to only work with people who are ready to tell their story that said I have a ton of people that I've written content plans for that I'm ringing saying I haven't seen your posts why aren't you tagging me in this stuff how can I help you and I think definitely with people in corporate spaces and I can't really speak to the male female thing but I think there is that perception of if I start putting stuff out there and my manager's going to be thinking I'm looking for something else. Yeah. And obviously that's a, that trust issue is massive, which speaks mm. to them as a culture. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because most of the people that I was, I, I should have, again, been more clear than what I was, but most of those people that I've been talking to have been people who have gone out on their own and just like, oh, I'm just a bit worried about putting myself out there. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing out here then if you're not prepared yeah. to put yourself out there. So interesting. I have had clients that will come from massive organisations where they've had to, before they can so much as go to the toilet, go through 50 million levels yeah. and they struggle to find their voice. They are yeah. the ones that will use the we, um, wanting to be seen to be bigger than what they actually are for whatever reason. So they're often the ones that have struggled. It's a bit of a hangover from their corporate days that they need to let go of. I love it. I love it. So thank you for sharing your thoughts around that and it's just maybe in my in my head about the gender thing simple versus complex my view is that we try and make things complex rather than keeping it pretty simple but that may not be your view do, do you have a view around if you do why we we chase the prize of complexity when we can do things pretty simply there are probably a few reasons for why but clarity over clever for me every time and you know think about the last you know, like networking, for example, you know, you meet someone and, of course, they say, what do you do? And there was someone I met at a networking event and they rolled out this spiel that was they help wholehearted 
solo femalepreneurs tap into their unique blah, blah, blah. And like I just said, but what do you do? And then they repeated this speech at me and I said, but, you know, and then I did the, well, how do you do that? They were a palm reader. And Mm. straight away I said, just lead with that. Like that's fascinating. Like the whole goal for any sort of elevated pitch or, you know, who am I, what do I do, is to entice someone to say, tell me more. So the more overly complicated and clunky you make it, the less people want to engage with that. So if she had have said I'm a palm reader, I would have been, oh, my God, how did you get into that? What do you do? Who do you, like, it's it's inviting. There was a big trend from the US a few years ago for personal branding to have these ridiculously extensive, wordy statements about who you are and what you do. And you can see it on LinkedIn too, Mark. You know, when you mm. see someone's name and what they've got behind that, their headline, and it's just tell me what you do. Come yeah. on, this is ridiculous. Um, I think people might may be wanting to be seen to be smarter than what they actually think they are, which is really, really sad. You know, throwing some big words it makes you look clever and it doesn't. It just makes it really, really hard for people to access what you have to say. So, you know, Hemingway was right. Go for clarity over clever every single time. I love that. And um, you've got to be careful when you use those big words because if someone gets curious and asks you what it means and you don't know, you look like more of a dick as well. So um, I I like clarity over clever. The idea of looking smarter has come up in 60-odd podcasts. I reckon at least 70, 80% of it's just feeling like you deserve to be in the room by being smarter or the smartest person in the room, which I don't think is ever a a smart game to play. All righty, let's wind this up with where people can find you. Look, as, as someone who has been a client of yours, I can... Here's my chance to blow some smoke up your backside. <laughs> the clarity that you gave me after we'd worked together, it's like, shit, it was like, you dickhead. Why did you not know this? But it's because I'm not an expert in, in the field. So I'm just going to say a, a massive plug here as well is for anyone who is struggling to understand and tell their story, spend time in with Holly and seriously, an investment in a bit of time will absolutely open your minds up. So I know how that works, but where can people, where can they get in touch with you? I know you've got books and you've got all sorts of things going on. I do. Um, so my website's always the first point of call and that's blue51.com.au. I have a incredible mailing list that I absolutely adore. That's probably where I put most of my content efforts because I just love it. And you know, I love sending something out and then the replies come in, including from yourself. So it's a little bit GIF heavy at the moment. So I've got to tone that down a little bit. Obviously, on all the platforms, there's Blue 51. And yes, I do have a book that's it right behind me. So that's Tell Your Story. And that's basically a handbook to help you get not so much out of your own head, but get out of your own way. And just it's a tools, the practicals about, you know, how to be communications director of your own brand, really. I love it. So these are the places to go to. I love your, um, I don't know what you, do you call it? Is it a, an email or a newsletter, that piece that you write? What do you call it? I just call it my email, which is what we talked about before about audience. It's, it yeah. feels like I'm sitting down and having ch- a chat with a mate and that's my feel for it and that's how I approach it. Because it's one of those ones that when you get to a point like I do when you're waiting for it, it's like, <laughs> when's it coming? Like, And then you get it, you read it, you're like, yep. And that, that's been helpful to help me when I write my monthly one to go, just keep being bolder and write it like you sound, like a a bogan from Mildura. Well, my my vibe is obviously communications and some word nerdery, some specialty in there, so something tangible you can take and apply to your own brand. 
bit of pop culture references never killed anyone. So it's fun. I want it to be a fun addition to people's inbox. That's my goal for that. I like it. So check out the website. Check out Holly's book as well. If you're a little bit like, oh, I don't quite know if I'm ready to have the check, get the book and have a read of the book and then go and work with the real deal because that'll be good for you. Hey, Holly, thanks for coming on and thank you for not getting to the point where you said you were worried you were going to drop the F-bomb. I did well, didn't I? You did exceptionally well. Great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much, Mark. Wow. Every time I get the chance to, to speak to Holly, I come away a hell of a lot more wise about the importance of telling my own story and getting really, really clear on it and why I need to be looking at it more from the clarity perspective and the clever perspective. And, uh, you know, great example that uh, Holly shared on the podcast today about when she asked someone what they did and they went into a a spiel that I think they'd most likely picked up from some branding guru, which left Holly more confused than being clear about what was done. And then when that person got to the point, then they could start having the conversation about telling the story. It's really an incredible thing. And I, I think we all get caught up with that. And maybe it's a bit of a runover from... CVs and our time in creating our LinkedIn profiles and how they we think they need to look to make people become impressed about about us and uh, dialing that down and it's one of the things that Holly helps people do dialing that down into a a very very clear message is a better way for you to be able to sell and to tell your story yeah you know, some of the things that hold us back that she talked about is that worry about how we'll be seen that's reluctance to push the button on that blog or that LinkedIn article or whatever it may be because we're worried about maybe our own existence in if we are still working in an organization how we'll be seen by our managers or others in the organization and I I say that's not just something that people who are still in organizations are afflicted by because we did talk about even people out running their own businesses find it difficult to share their story I loved her reference to cheerleading and showcasing and there's some great opportunities for you to be your own cheerleader, but also to be the cheerleader for your team and for your organization in just spending that time in in sharing stories. Create your own brag book. Create your own individual brag book or your brag sheet. Create your own team brag sheet. Those things that that you're known for, that's unique about you, that make you great. And try not to get too caught up just in the technical work stuff, but on on what you're doing there. I think it's a really important one. And I love this idea. She she actually gave us some extra tips. You know, what do you want to be known for? So if you find it hard to talk about what you're great at or what makes you unique, maybe talk about what you are known for or what you want to be known for and uh, it might make it a bit easier for you to do that. I hope after this episode you're all encouraged to sit down and start to get underneath that surface-level story that you have, which is usually, again, related to your CV, what you do, what you've been trained in, what your qualifications are, and then dig underneath that and start to look at what's going on behind that. What do I actually do? What's my passion? How did I get to this place? And I guess finally finishing up with, with for those who are massive Simon Sinek fans, which I've been one over time, perhaps not as much as I used to be, but perhaps we shouldn't start with why. Perhaps, uh, as Holly said, we should start somewhere else. Make sure we incorporate our why somewhere along the way, but not always start with that. Hey, I'd love you to share, if you love this, I'd love you to share this podcast with your friends. Recommend that your friends to have a listen to it. I'd love you to write a, uh, a nice review for me and post it up. Subscribe to the podcast, do whatever you want, but 
I'm going to keep bringing you some simple and practical tools and tips to be not just a better manager, but a better human being. And I'd love you to uh, share it with the world. But until next time, keep it simple, keep it practical, and keep it human. Bye for now.